It might surprise you to know that Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did about heaven or hell. The word give is used more than 1,500 times in the English Bible. For this, God does not want us to be hasty, thoughtless, or impulsive about this. This is something we are to have thought about very seriously as a part of our worship. podcast for September 2nd, 2018. Today, guest speaker Bill Tucker will be talking about one of our favorite subjects, tithes and offerings. It's really a good study. You ought to listen to it. Afterwards, check out our website. A lot of information there about the church and things going on in the church. And don't forget, September 23rd, Invite a Friend Sunday. So invite a friend, invite a relative, invite the world to Houghton Baptist. I hope you enjoy the podcast, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Pastor Dave is off this weekend, but um, it's something that's very critical as the body of Christ here at Holton Baptist Church, and uh, we'll just assume you will receive it correctly. Otherwise, I'll be in the parking lot later, and we can deal with it. So the, the message this morning is the last one of the Worship War series, and David wanted me to excitedly remind you all, and I am excited about it, next Sunday we're going to start a new four-part series, and it's titled, Now What? Okay, so for any believers here that are newer or younger, we're going to look at what do we do next? Now, we've, we've come to know Christ, we've got a pretty good start, now what? So we're going to look at that, and I'm going to do one of those messages too, if, uh, if I survive this one. So, um, let's pray. Father... We have freedom and privilege to gather this morning because of you. May the Holy Spirit, as we just sang, prevail in this message. Amen. You know, the longer we walk with the Lord and the more we understand and appreciate what was done, um, it's just amazing all that he's done for us. But we begin to understand that God has so much more for us now and in the future. It's not just what he did it's what he's doing and going to do that excites me. Do we have any Trekkies here today? I didn't say techies, I said Trekkies. Anybody raise your hand? Okay, for those that didn't raise their hand, I'm going to explain this to you just a little bit. Many years ago, like 40, somewhere in there, there was, was it the 70s or what? And the 60s, late 60s. Okay, so that's a long time ago. I was barely born. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, there's this really cool sci-fi show on TV called Star Trek. And the, the characters flew around the galaxies in their starship. I think it was Enterprise. Was that the name of it? Yeah. And uh, anyway, they had this really cool thing they could do on this show 
which was, um, and maybe I don't have the right phrase, but they could teleport you in time and space to some other location at some other time. And I thought, man, that'd be cool to do that. But guess what? At the moment of salvation, we get a lot of things from, from God and from Jesus Christ. The pastor friend of mine has identified at least 40, and some of them he's splitting hairs, so maybe, maybe it's not quite that many, but it's a bunch of stuff. But one thing that doesn't happen is when Captain Kirk would say, beam me up, Scotty, and he was gone, we didn't get beamed up, did we? We're still here. We have the future hope and promise of eternity in heaven, and and there's even greater things that go along with that. Another sermon, when you're bored, I'll do that one. But the point is, we're still here. And so that begs the question, does it not? Why? What's up with this, you know? Um... He has a plan and purpose for all of our lives. And of course it was designed to bless us, but it was also designed for a bigger purpose, to bring him honor and glory. When we begin to advance in that plan and succeed at the different levels of that plan, we bring him honor and glory. We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff in that next series. So like they say on TV, stay tuned next week, okay? Worship is one of the major aspects of God's plan for his children. Motivated by our love-filled response to his grace and mercy, our worship here at HBC brings honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. I love our worship here. I do. I do. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been a bit of an experience for me as I've grown a little bit since I've been here, uh, but it's been awesome. It's been awesome. We excel at presenting the gospel here. You'll get it straight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, if you've got an old King James. That's it. Don't add anything. Don't subtract anything. Believe. Accept the work on the cross for yourself. You don't come with any merit. It's all done for you. It's paid for. You don't believe. That's it. That's it. But we also preach the word here. I think you would agree with me that our worship music is energetic, and I think joyful, and, and at the same time very serious if you look at the lyrics, um, and, and somber as need be. And I think all that, all that brings honor and glory through our worship to Jesus Christ and God the Father. However, but, you know, the big one, but, there's one area of worship that I think we can improve on and I think most of you would agree in your heart, and that's giving. Now, if you like, I'll take like 30 seconds. If you want to run and leave now, that's okay. I get it. I get it. But that's why I asked to do this. I didn't want, I didn't want anybody, <clears throat> if you're going to be upset with somebody about this, be upset with me. Not our pastor. I begged him to do this. I really did. So he takes enough hits. This one's on me, okay? And the Holy Spirit, so be careful what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, But what I'd like to do today is look at the principles of giving and what a loving and obedient response to God's call on us involves. Because we have so many new and young Christians here, I again asked David if I could preach this message maybe two or three months ago. uh, And and finally the the right time came along. You know, this giving is, is like no other topic that usually comes from the pulpit in any church and it usually causes a lot of anxiety uh, in a congregation. 
You know, God doesn't need your money. He's not broke. Never was, never will be. But he has given us money and other things, spiritual gifts, the gift of time, which is probably more important than all the rest, in order that we would learn to be stewards of it and first and foremost, give him our best. Okay? It might surprise you to know that Jesus taught more about money and possessions than he did about heaven or hell. The word give is used more than 1,500 times in the English Bible. And that's more than the words faith, hope, love, or pray put together. So I think it's fair to say we need to look at this. So real quickly, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. That's probably not up here. That's okay, because I'm going to spend more time in 2 Corinthians. But it says, Every Sunday, each of you must put aside some money in proportion to what you have earned. And the context is, is giving at the local church. And, the posi- and in this passage, Paul really states three characteristics of worshipful giving. And they're really pretty simple. It's supposed to be weekly on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. So you could, you could take from that that God is wanting our giving to be systematic and consistent. And our gifts are to be given at the place of worship when we worship. And, of course, in this modern day and time, you can always send it in with these magical devices. And don't ask me to explain that. Some of you techies can help out with that, okay, how that's done. Uh, Second thing is to be planned. We're to put aside money or budget for this. God does not want us to be hasty, thoughtless, or impulsive about this. This is something we are to have thought about very seriously as a part of our worship. Third thing, it's to be proportional to what we've earned. Tithing, or 10%, is the pattern God has given us from the Old Testament. Jerusalem and and Israel um, basically had two ongoing tithes and one every third year for the poor. What I do want you to know, however, is that even then, it's the attitude behind the giving that count. That, that's what's most important about where is your heart in this? You know, what is your, your motivation for this? And otherwise, it's going to be burned at the judgment seat of Christ. It's called wood, hay, and stubble. It's good works that don't qualify as, it, as, as the, the good that God wants from us. About two years ago, Don Curry, I won't point him out, but he's the guy in the green shirt over there, <laughs> preached a message up here and it was extraordinarily good and it really hit home to me and if you ever want to understand tithing go get that message on our website and listen to it it is awesome and it's outstanding and i thank you i thank you now i'm going to go to the main text today we're going in second corinthians two chapters it's going to take a minute to read it but i will read it and then we'll move on from there Chapter 8, the first verse. We want, to know, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affection, affliction, their abundance and joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly, Excuse me, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. Now, what's the priority there? Give your heart to Jesus Christ and the Lord. This giving thing will actually get easy then, okay? Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. We're up to verse 8 now. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who are doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much and had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. We're up to verse 16 now. Hang in there. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. And we'll talk about Titus in a little bit, and I'll explain, explain him, okay? For he did not only accept our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching the gospel. He's not identified at this point. And not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered to us or by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about the gener- this generous gift that is being administered by us. So accountability was, was built into this. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of their great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. And so give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now we'll take just a break and then we'll hit... Chapter 9, which is a little shorter. Okay. Chapter 9. Now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that, you, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction or being forced. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under 
compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. And the generosity of your contribution for them and all others, while they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Paul said a lot of stuff there. Uh, These two chapters comprise probably the most extensive section in Scripture on giving. From Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, and I read one passage right at the beginning out of there, we know that that church in Corinth that really uh, developed to be kind of, uh, uh, this is how a, a fellow preacher put it to me, picture Las Vegas, okay? Maybe even more uh, wild and crazy for the time. But by the time Paul gets around to writing this second letter, Titus and some others had really done, and including Timothy, Timothy gave it a shot as well. They ran him out, by the way. He was too nice. But Timothy, Titus, and others had gone to Corinth, reestablished the Word of God as the deciding factor and in, in the uh, balance of their faith and what they should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, straightened out some really bizarre family relation practices, and I won't say any more about that. You read it, okay? But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is teaching them and us the principles of giving as unto the Lord, and that's a completely different matter. The church in Corinth was actually very prosperous. However, for over a year, their failure to finish a collection for the survival of the church in Jerusalem demonstrated their lack of understanding of giving. So while they were doing a lot of things right, they didn't have this one right. And much of this is written for them and us as well to understand this. The Roman historian Livy uh, writes this. The Romans at this time had devastated all Macedonia. Yet despite, and, and that's the end of the quote from him, yet despite poverty and great affliction at the hands of the Romans, the Macedonians gave generously to the needy Jewish believers in Jerusalem and set an example from which the Corinthians could profit. The impoverished Christians in Jerusalem needed assistance to survive. I mean, they're hanging on by their fingernails, if you will. And this letter from Paul concerned a collection to provide relief from them. Now, there was a traditional racial prejudice between the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul had to discourage any antagonism between Corinth and Jerusalem. He related to the Corinthians the example of the Macedonians. Most Macedonians held no bias toward Jewish believers. They were in fellowship with God and they were exhibiting a spiritually mature viewpoint or joy amidst their own affliction. They had the right perspective for giving. 
They gave from their love for the Lord so that the destitute Jews in Jerusalem might survive. Moreover, they gave generously to do this collection when they themselves were in deep poverty. Pretty amazing. I have had the experience of being around some churches just like that, and it is awesome what God will do with whatever we had when the attitude of the givers is right. The Macedonians gave with confidence that the grace of God would provide for their future. Hasn't he promised that to us all? Isn't he our Heavenly Father? I think so. I I believe that with all my heart. Please don't misunderstand this. The gift was not a bribe for the blessing of God because that will never work. You can't say, okay, God, I'll give you this and then you do this. That's not how this works. Never has and never will. A lot of foolish people go through life trying to do that. You can't bribe God. Doesn't, doesn't work. But this emanated from a genuine desire to remember the grace that he had given them and then to help others in need. The Macedonians were very grace-oriented. And that's a prerequisite for true giving. Only through grace can any believer give as unto the Lord. If you don't understand those principles of what God has done for you, and you know, you may spend a lifetime figuring out all that he has done for you because it's immense and amazing. But that is what should motivate your giving, okay? That's, you think about what's, what's been done for you, that's what should motivate you. The collection from the Macedonians was so remarkable that Paul mentions it, let's see, one, two, three, four, five times in his epistles as an example to others. Though poverty-stricken, the Macedonians gave liberally and with a proper mental attitude of grace while the prosperous Corinthians balked at giving and completing something that they had promised to do. The Corinthians had begun to collect an offering but never finished it. Chapters 8 and 9 that we just read, I believe, were designed to stimulate the Corinthians to resume the collection from an attitude of grace and set a precedent for all of us in the future. By his exhortation, Paul establishes a critical relationship between the grace of God and every believer's mental attitude. The mature believer, with truth resident in in his soul, has a sustained joy or happiness. Genuine happiness is always built on truth. Truth, from the word of God, produces the capacity for happiness and gratitude and a motive for giving. Unless understanding and applying the word of God becomes your first priority, happiness is momentary. The concept of grace eludes comprehension, and then giving will reflect vanity instead of grace. The Macedonians' happiness, despite adversity, was one blessing that arose from their understanding of God's grace. Their application of grace taught them to, to come to the aid of the needy brethren, The significance of giving resides in the giver's mental attitude rather than in the actual gift. Okay? The amount isn't the critical thing. What is your attitude? It's giving of yourself. When you give with a gracious mental attitude, you are reflecting the the grace that God has given to you. Let's look at at chapter 8, verse 3 real quickly. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Working with teen kids that were troubled and had all kinds of issues and they had them.
Um, in fact, I had been oblivious to most of that until we worked there because my kids grew up in a rather normal, boring home. Um, and they're grateful for it today. But uh, we were in a real, real tight financial spot. I guess we're back on the mic now. And I was feeling pretty, pretty bad because uh, men, I think you relate to this. Somehow I got the goofy idea that I was the one supposed to provide. And I wasn't able to do it. Okay, but guess what? We get a letter and a mail, a little card from our church back in Michigan in Gladstone. And this woman who's now passed away, she was a widow, um, living on Social Security, and I know didn't have 10 cents to spare. She sent us a couple hundred dollars in this card, and in this card she said, I count it all joy. That broke me. Right then and there, I knew that I was going to be Jerusalem. I was going to be on the receiving end of a Macedonian who didn't know me, had nothing. This lady at least knew us, but um, that changed my whole attitude about giving and receiving. There are folks in here today, you're either at the age or the economic status, you are receivers, and that is okay. Don't walk out of here with a guilt trip and blame me for it. You're deciding to feel that way. It's not your time yet. Your time will come, okay? But remember when it comes what to do, okay? The legalists amongst us, and there aren't too many in this church, I'm grateful for that, they try to glorify God through their own righteousness all the time. They try to impress God. They, they Really, they're trying to impress you so that you think that they will be cool with God or whatever, so... And I think the scriptures are pretty clear calling anything done with that attitude is not divine good, but human good. It tells us all that's going to get burned in a great big fire at the judgment seat of Christ. And I just hope a lot of my stuff isn't in there. I, I know there will be some. Um, because even in, in anything you do for the Lord, your, your attitude is the key to that. First of all, don't get this uh, uh, goofy idea that you are so good at what you do that you produce for the Lord. No, he used you and he's in charge of what then comes from it. And you may may uh, you may have been used to provide an impact that you won't see for 100 years or till eternity. You may not know what it was that caused the ripple effect that goes through the world when Christians obey God and are obedient to call and go do something, provide the cup of water in his name as the scriptures say. Let's move on to verse 5. It says, and this, not as we expected or anticipated, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will, purpose, design of God. So Paul even was just freaked out about this. These people, they've got nothing, but they went to the Lord first. The Lord provided them with what they needed, and then they were able to give that sacrificially, to some believers in Jerusalem who were under tremendous persecution, physical violence. Um, it was a pretty nasty time to be in Jerusalem. Remember, this Christianity thing was relatively new, and they had a lot of, lot of opposition not only from government of Rome, because it tended to cause trouble, but the, the Jews that had not yet believed, of course, were still trying to stamp them out. They hadn't succeeded in eliminating the Savior, um, didn't understand that it too was their savior 
but they were still trying to stamp this Christianity thing out. So they had it pretty rough. They had it pretty rough. So it was amazing to Paul that the Macedonians, though poor, though destitute, though under persecution from Rome itself, I mean, the Romans, when they moved in, they generally crushed you. They had the military might to do it. Um, and they, they didn't lose for, I don't know, they had two, two great periods of time, almost a thousand years, where they were the, the big bully on the block. So growth that results in a great mental attitude, which is what happened in Macedonia, first emphasizes the importance of your, your orientation to grace or the soul activity rather than the gift. When a believer simply gives money, he's doing what any unbeliever could do, okay? And the deed has no spiritual value. Giving as unto the Lord must be accomplished in the status of divine good. In other words, filling of the Spirit, giving from a grateful heart, a grace-oriented perspective on things. And that's a big contrast to the human good that uh, motivates a lot of us that want to be seen giving, want to be, uh, oh, yeah, I, I bought that, I donated that. Uh, what, whatever whatever your, your self-motivation is to, to uh, bring yourself up and not even give God credit for it, uh, which is amazing to me. Only divine good is acceptable to God. And to do that, God provides everything necessary. His grace provision for all of us of the filling of the Spirit, the reality of the truth in your soul, and all this will result in your spiritual growth, which in turn will increase your understanding of your obligations, responsibilities, and the great privileges that come with maturity in Christ, and one of which is giving. And that's really giving unto the Lord. The truth resident in the soul motivates all true giving. Truth is motivated. Truth motivated giving is free from mental attitude sins, such as approbation or I'm going to gain something by this. Powerless, maybe I'll get some power if I'm a big player on the money side, then I'll get some say in something around here. Or guilt, fear, or arrogance. All those things don't belong in the walls of the, within the walls of this church, so you brought any of them in, put them at the foot of the cross today and don't walk out with them, please. Giving unto the Lord is not a one-shot emotional dedication. Rather, it requires a continual process. It becomes a part of your way of life. This interactivity extends to the overt activity of giving. The gift is not the most important thing. The condition of the soul counts the most. You probably all are familiar with emotional stories or have seen some things on TV uh, where you're try- they, they attempt to either guilt you or promise you something uh, as if you're, whatever your money was, I don't care if you're a millionaire or you have nothing and you give God a dime. Do either of those parties genuinely think they can gain God's uh, acceptance, his glory, uh, favor with him for that measly amount of money. The God I, I believe in is so much bigger than that. Don't even think about trying to bribe him with money. That's about the most foolish thing you could ever do. You're better off giving it to me. I'll take it. I'll take it. But we've all seen that. 
And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that um, fall for that kind of thing and, in, and end up, uh, the, the money ends up being spent in ways that none of us probably approve of, as we've seen over and over again with scandals. But manipulating people to give is, is wrong. It should never be done. I'm not doing it today, and, and I don't think we'll ever do that here. Um, I'm just trying to show you what, what's possible, what's doable, and what God has to say about it. The Macedonian believers, again, were truly magnificent. Their giving was divine good because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Truth in their souls motivated their entire offering, and only the impact of truth on the soul provides the proper, proper impetus for giving. The Corinthians, on the other hand, previously had given money without orientation to grace or truth. Their giving was human good and was going to be part of that wood, hay, and stubble that's talked about in the big fire at the judgment seat of Christ. So let's summarize a couple points, and then I'll, I'll finish this thing up. Number one, giving is a commemoration of grace. God the Father gave his Son as the ultimate grace gift for all of us, whether we have taken it or believed or not. It was for all. And God's perfect character is the basis for this gift. Not us. We don't have any merit in this arrangement. In recognition of God's grace, the believer must give on the basis of his own mental attitude from the truth resident in his soul. Number three, therefore, there's a definite sequence of giving. First, their soul activity, then the overt act of giving. I liken it to breathing. We breathe in, the inhale is truth, whether it's here, whether it's personal study at home, time in prayer, you are inhaling. Then you exhale that which pleases, pleases God. Your, your divine good that you do every day, whatever, however small it might be, if you've done it in his name, it's a good, it's a big deal, okay? Four, giving is both an extension and a manifestation of the truth resident in your soul. Five, it give, giving expresses capacity for love and happiness based on truth. So the more truth, divine truth you get in your soul, the greater your capacity for life becomes. And, and uh, it's a wonderful place to be. Um, it really is. Giving in grace, again, does not make an issue of the actual gift or the giver. Giving from emotionalism is tantamount to manipulation by the giver and results usually in that self-centered thinking of, well, after all I've done for you. Have you ever heard that in church? Uh, I've given enough money to have some say around here. Okay? Well, guess what? There is no place in the priesthood for giving with strings attached. I'm going to say it again. There's no place for giving with strings attached. If there are strings, it's not giving. You're manipulating the system. The Macedonians were Gentiles. But they were pleased to give to the Jews who lived in a distant city most of whom they had never met, nor would they ever meet. We do the same when we support missions, and it's a wonder, wonderful thing. You have no clue, maybe in time, what a few dollars might have translated to an eternal value. Just no clue. Uh, pretty amazing stuff actually comes of it. Well, why were these northern Greeks so generous to these total strangers? Well, they're, 
generosity reflects a concept called impersonal love. And by that, I'm talking about a love that doesn't rely on the merit or attractiveness of the receiver. It relies on the givers and what the giver has in their heart and in their soul. If you only give because they seem to merit it for whatever reason, that's not a good reason to give. You need to give motivated by what's in here, irregardless of what's out there. Impersonal love is the only way, by the way, that we can come close to filling the command of love one another. Because there's stuff you people do that I don't like, and I'll bet you I got a few things you don't like. Yeah. Maybe not every single day, but sooner or later, we'll all get on each other's nerves and learn to push each other's buttons, try to manipulate situations. We're all good at it. Uh, anybody that says they're not is probably not being real truthful right now. So take that for what it's worth. But there's no, there's no room for strings attached to our giving. These, these Gentiles in Macedonia, um, they were so motivated. They give to the, the poor Jews in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, they didn't have the Internet and, and all the wonderful instant news things we've got today. But they knew that church was struggling and that there was a very good chance the Roman government would destroy it and there'd never be anything there. But they gave anyway. They trusted that God would make sure that that church survived. And it did, by the way. And this was the church founded by James, the brother of Jesus Christ himself, uh, if you studied it a little bit deeper. Personal love, on the other hand, is always centered around the attractiveness of the object of that love. Okay, A lot of relationships um, that you enter into when you're a younger person, that's the first thing that got you. Oh, there, she's beautiful, he's handsome. That's what you're attracted to. And you know what? It may work out, maybe the love of your life and all that. Statistics say otherwise, by the way. But this I will tell you. The only way a relationship ever lasts is based on what both parties have in their soul. Because you know what? The looks are going to go. Eventually. Just a matter of time, you're going to get, if you're a guy, you're going to get maybe not as big a gut as this, but it's coming. If you, if you, if you uh, do the things I did, you, you're going to get big. You're going to get cranky. You're going to get gray. But you're probably going to be wiser. And, and that's a good thing. And I'll tell you what, I would not trade to go back to the youth I had when I didn't hurt and I was young and lean and mean and all that. Because the lessons I've learned to get to this point now, I don't want to have to go through that again. Okay? So it's a wonderful thing to have matured enough to be able to laugh at your foibles once in a while, because we all have them. Um, my wife laughs at mine. I laugh at hers. Uh, it's kind of funny to watch us in our recliners laughing at each other. <laughs> we, we will watch a program on TV and something that just strikes us so funny, and actually it's usually very stupid, by the way, that we just we both look at each other and it's just it's great, all right. But anyway, the ultimate expression of true personal love is once that relationship has matured based on your heart, and that ultimate is your love for Jesus Christ. When your relationship is far enough along with the Lord that you love him, that you absolutely love him, a lot of other stuff takes care of itself. And that is our goal with personal love, because he does merit the attention. 
He's the only one that ever merited that kind of attention. The truth is, many of the Jewish believers had fallen away from their truth. Obviously, under great pressure, a lot of people crack. Okay, But the Macedonians fulfilled the command to love them with impersonal love. Their offering com- commemorated God's own impersonal love in sending his son to die for all of us. Pretty, pretty amazing uh, gesture, if you will. Furthermore, despite the current failure and evil among some of those believers in Jerusalem, the Macedonians displayed gratitude for the past contributions of Israel. So even though maybe the current nation wasn't doing so well and was not um, meeting standards that God had laid out for them, the Macedonians said, but they're still God's chosen people. And they, they thought of things like this. The Jewish prophets were selected by God to receive and write the scriptures. The Jews, therefore, became the original guardians of the scriptures, the word of God. The greatest communicators of truth were Jews. Christ himself is a Jew. And the Gentiles had benefited from the Jews through the truth and now the grace-oriented Greeks that wanted to express their appreciation for contributing to their money to the destitute Jewish believers. So they took into account their record over the years. I'm almost done, okay? Now, in contrast, we go to the Corinthians. They were not paupers, but they had a whole bunch to learn about giving. Verse 6, Consequently, we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. The Corinthians needed the filling of the Spirit, truth in their soul and in personal love. The word charis or grace is repeated from verse 4 and indicates grace. Giving is a gracious work accomplished without strings or gimmicks. Paul knew the Corinthians needed to apply the Macedonian lesson. So he sent Timothy to Corinth to encourage grace orientation, but the Corinthians intimidated him. Timothy's personality was a little too easygoing, so he failed to get the desired result there. And they actually drove him right out of town. So Paul then said, all right, I'll send Titus. He's my troubleshooter. He's my bouncer, if you will. And uh, that's who I'm sending next. So Titus was very direct, uncompromising, and the Corinthians responded very favorably. They recovered from their arrogance and carnality, as described in 1 Corinthians, and were advancing to the point where they wanted to express their grace orientation with this offering to Jerusalem. Under Titus, the Corinthians had begun the offering, but when Titus departed to go to another town on Paul's behalf, the Corinthians again fell by the wayside, and the offering was discontinued. So as soon as the cat was away, the mouse decided to play again. Okay? If that makes any sense to you. With his return and the resumption of spiritual advance, because he, he did go back, Paul sent him back, as I said, stated earlier, with two others, more muscle, if you will. The offering could then be continued, properly motivated. But to make sure that the Corinthians had no misconceptions or illusions and and that they didn't give under pressure, Paul purposely remained silent to them about the situation in Jerusalem. He did not want this gift to be given from guilt. 
that they hadn't done the thing they should have done. He did not want them to think of what was going on in Jerusalem with uh, killings and whatnot, uh, people dying for their faith, and that be the motivation. He, he, he just used the illustration of the Macedonians to teach them to be properly motivated. Although in, the material, in material poverty, the Macedonians possessed great spiritual riches, and that's what you want to go for. You know, don't worry about the money. Get those spiritual riches God has for you. Their offering was divine good, and it glorified the Lord. And now, after two or three attempts, the Corinthians had the same opportunity. At the beginning of verse 6, the word consequently is used to make the transition from the Macedonian to the Corinthian giving. Why is the word there? It indicates a challenge, and not just for them, but for us. The Corinthians can make a similar offering motivated by grace orientation, and that is what should motivate our offerings. And by the way, I'm not going to take up another one. Don't, don't, you relax. This act of giving then becomes a reflection of their spiritual wealth in their souls. This is shown dramatically um, in the Macedonian example. The Corinthian church had an abundance of wealth, but Paul was not interested in tapping their financial resources. He was not going to cater to them because of that wealth. He was, however, concerned for their spiritual state. And that always should be a concern to all of us. Where are we at spiritually? Therefore, Paul dealt with them firmly by sending Titus, the most hard-nosed man on his team. Paul desired to make clear the spiritual relationship and the the spiritual principles of giving that had already been fulfilled by the Macedonians. The Corinthians must follow the same principles, and so must we. It's also apparent from that transitional word, consequently, that grace orientation is tested in giving. Giving presents an occasion to evaluate your own personal orientation of grace. All believers are tested every time there's an offering, they're tested when we have the communion service here. And we're tested anytime we listen to the word of God. A grace test means that God has provided everything for you to pass. Therefore, your response depends on non-meritorious, positive response or volition, not upon your own human ability. The issue is, do you pass the test from the reality of the resources in your soul or do you lose concentration and perspective and try to do it on your own? Let's pray. Father, all that we have is from your grace. You've given us time, spiritual gifts, and wealth so that we may offer them back to you. As we continue to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, may our giving be motivated by our love and gratitude for all you've done, are doing, and will do for us. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Hope Baptist Podcast. We appreciate your support. If you're looking for a church or it's been a while since you've been to church, why don't you come and check out Houghton Baptist? We certainly love to have you. You can come as you are. We do. Also, if you're interested in giving, you can give by text. Just send a text to 906-346-1317 and follow the prompts from there. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast and have a great day.